about good works versus dead works. There is a difference between good works and good deeds or what some would say dead works. But the question is, what is that difference? What is the difference between those two things? Well, good works by definition are working to be good enough for God. Dead works are before we experience the power of the gospel in our lives. The good things you do before the gospel are really just good deeds. And as a Western culture, we often associate good works with good deeds, and they get treated like they do the same thing. Yet, they're not the same at all. Good deeds are things that society will see as good actions, almost like what makes me or you a good person. These things are like opening the door for somebody at a restaurant or going into uh, Walmart. You see the Salvation Army with their red kettles and their bells this time of year, donating to different charities or different places. It can even be feats like economic breakthroughs or political milestones that help out humanity. And society as a whole is going to celebrate those efforts of those that achieve in these different areas that I talked about. And yet none of these things are going to get you any closer to God. Because I cannot give to the needy and achieve in this secular world and expect that I'm going to be rewarded when I go before my king on that day of judgment. Good works get rewarded by God, but neither good works nor good deeds can save us. If these things cannot save us, then I pose this question, what can save us? We have a real issue with thinking that we are good when we, go, when we do good things in Western culture. And even the world itself will say, well, I'm a good person if I do good things. And there are even Christians who think they, that they follow every biblical principle and they even work for the kingdom of God. Yet all that work by itself will not save you. Good works are good in and of themselves. But Jesus told the rich young ruler in Mark 10, 18, he said, no one is good but God. So in this gospel of Mark, we see Jesus and his disciples entering Jerusalem on their way. A rich young ruler seeks salvation and what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. You know, this morning, aren't we on that same journey? Don't we all want to inherit eternal life? Each one of us seeks the, the prize of eternal life, the glorified state with our, our king, to be in the presence of our Lord, with, where there is no pain and there is no sorrow of this life. This is really what that rich young ruler was seeking. Unfortunately, he was going about it in all the wrong ways. Mark ten seventeen says, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response to this man was to ask a question. Jesus always kind of put the nail on the head. He always kind of asked the question that was, was lingering in our hearts, the thing that would help us to understand what it was he was trying to say. And he says, Why do you call me good? Only God is good. We know that Jesus is God manifested in flesh. So in this verse, we ha I ask myself, why does Jesus ask him about being called good? You see, it wasn't simply 
to declare the goodness of God to this man, but instead it was a heart check. You know, almost like if our, if our kids come in and they ask us a question of something we already know, or they really already should know, but they haven't quite figured it out yet, and we're, just tr- we're trying to simply lead them to the conclusion on their own. It's kind of like when my son comes in after I hear a yell and some crying in the other room. He comes in and he, he's talking to me about what happened. And I have to kind of sit him down and just talk to him about it. Tell him, kind of discuss it with him. Help him to understand that what he's doing and the consequences and the things that can happen out of what his choices are. It's simply like that how we can hurt those that are around us with this. And so Jesus says only God is good. Meaning you are not going to be good enough to achieve this feat on your own. And in fact, it's impossible to do it. And Jesus goes on to say, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. And so this man says, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And see, every Jewish believer had been taught the Mosaic laws and had been brought up on this message of righteous works. This is why this this man, this young man, was so confident in the fact that he had done all the things that Jesus was talking about. The thing is that although the need not to murder, not to commit adultery, not to have idolatry and various other laws, they're not just about what you don't do, but they're also why you don't do them. And up to this point in history, Israel following God, they hadn't received the new birth experience. That's what Jesus was there for. To accomplish this with his death, burial, and resurrection. So this young man thought he had done all he needed to do in order to be made righteous. Unfortunately, without there being a true sacrifice, that lamb without blemish, which was Jesus along with true repentance, all this was impossible. And we can see Jesus' reaction to this man in Mark 10, 21. It says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. He said, there is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give them the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this point, Jesus was wanting this man to give up everything. Have faith and obedience. To submit to the will of God in his life. And this is just like us when we come in with presuppositions about how God works and all the good things that we have done for our fellow man. And lose sight of what it is that really needs to change in order for us to be in a covenant relationship with Jesus. You see, every man and woman who has ever been born has been born into sin. And this happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of knowledge of good and evil. And this brought sin into the world where the wages of that sin are death. So this natural man, which is those that haven't experienced this new birth, the death, which is repentance, the burial, which is the water baptism, and also the resurrection, which is the infilling of the Holy Ghost, which gives us power to be able to overcome so many of these things. And this natural man can, in fact, the truth is, the natural man can do good things. He can be a decent person. He can help his neighbor, give to charity, donate their time. 
but they can still find themselves in hell. However, though, when I read what Jesus said to that young man is he cared about this man. And he cares about you and he cares about me. And because he cares, I know I feel so blessed to have a God that cares about me even when I myself am not getting it. Mark 10, says, As this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Sometimes we meet people who no matter what we say or do, will not receive this gospel message. And it is often because they reach a place with the Savior that he asks them to give up something that they are unwilling to part ways with. And this is why good deeds or good works alone cannot save you. If you have never experienced this true water baptism, repentance, and the filling of the Holy Ghost. Today is your day. If you're listening online, you don't have to be in this sanctuary to receive that gift of the Holy Ghost or to be in repentance. Today can be your day that you receive that. This water is warm. Call us. We'll put a place for you so that you can be baptized. And after this response from the rich young ruler, Jesus addressed the disciples on the true difficulty of finding salvation. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. But Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, a rich person, to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. And Jesus looked at them intently and said, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God, because everything is possible with God. And you know, Jesus' words here was humanly speaking. Humanly speaking. That's the natural man in us. This is impossible. That is because of that original sin that entered into our lives. We have no way of entering into heaven as the natural man or woman. This is why Jesus had told Nicodemus. Nicodemus was, Brother Foster talked about him in week one if you, if you want to recap of that. But Nicodemus was a student of the word. He, he read the Torah continually. His life was centered around learning the Torah. And really, that's just the, the Old Testament, the Word of God. He, he focused upon that. So when Jesus told him he had to be born again, he's like, what? I have to be born again? What does that even mean? How am I going to enter into my mother's womb a second time? He just didn't get it. But when you look at this account, neither did the disciples. Because when Jesus was talking, often they had to stop and say, well, what do you mean by that? And in this situation, it wasn't any different. And even this morning, there are some that find the idea of new birth confusing. That is because the scripture actually tells us why we find it confusing. In Isaiah 55, 8, it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth. So the thing is, we're never going to totally make sense of the new birth in our natural state. It requires more than our own intellect and our individual efforts. In Ephesians 2, 8 says it like this. 
God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. You see, salvation is not of works. Do not, and it does not produce salvation. Salvation produces good works. If salvation were by works, we could brag. But if it's of grace, then only God can get the glory and credit. Protestant theologian Donald Blush says, I like the way he says this, and he says, Good works are the fruit of a person made righteous by God. We do righteous deeds because we are righteous. Because there's been a change in us by the power of the gospel. And Jesus has changed our hearts. And that's why when we look at the prophet Ezekiel, we can see what he was talking about in Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, and I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out that stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. But all of this, it it comes down to faith. Because everything that I've talked about up to this point has been about how you can do it. The power of your own intellect and your own abilities and everything that's that's yourself. And so without repent, obedience to what God is saying, you can't do it. It would have required true faith for that rich young ruler to sell everything. It requires us to abandon logic. Step out of our comfort places and go down into the water. But it requires even more faith for it, for it to actually change us. Faith is the positive response we have to a loving God and the means in which we accept God's saving grace. It is the means in how we yield to God, obey his word, and allow him to perform his saving work in us. Paul addressed the great need of faith in order to truly have salvation in Romans 3.22. It says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, Unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. You must have faith. But faith alone is not enough because it requires action. That is why when you read the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, you can see that the men and women of God who responded with action and faith and operation achieved miraculous results. I'm going to read a small section of this chapter and urge you to read this in its entirety. It helps us that we might understand the need for action partnered with faith. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Now each one of these men and women that are listed in the hall of faith, lived by faith in great moments and acted out of their personal faith in God. And we can see even more of this. Well, James kind of talks about it in the principles of faith and action. 
in James 2.14. He said, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. But with, with thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Sayest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So you, you kind of get these two contrasting thought patterns between these. And, and the reality is that it requires us to respond. Faith alone cannot take us to the point of salvation. But works without faith is also not going to work out. So it requires both in order that we might actually have salvation. You know, when you look at different examples throughout Scripture, you can see things like Noah and the ark. And without Noah being able to actually build the ark, what happens? Well, he drowns. He doesn't make it. And this is the same thing without us. If we're in a position where we say, well, I believe in God. I receive God." And, I, and I'm going to put my faith in God, but then I don't do anything about it, then realistically I haven't done anything. And so this is, this is really the argument that can be made is that, and, and theologians over the course of church history have actually argued this topic of good works versus dead works. In fact, it led to the Reformation period, causing a man by Martin Luther to pen a thesis, which was against the sale of indulgences. Unfortunately, Martin Luther had adopted the idea that works were without merit and faith was alone the only thing needed to have salvation. Martin Luther argues that even the book of James was an unnecessary book in the New Testament. Now, we don't, we don't follow that. We believe that the word of God is inspired, that it's God-breathed, that every, every single thing contained in this book is good for us. And so we don't, we don't believe what Martin Luther's talking about in that in his thought pattern, but he did lead the church into a place where we can now be in, able to be able to worship. I mean, his, his sacrifice paved the way. He was a little off, but that's okay. And Martin Luther, like many who came before him and, and many who actually came after him, had not actually encountered the new birth experience. You see, Martin Luther had believed that like many, that it was simply a declaration of faith to receive the gospel and be placed under the blood. Although I would say, <clears throat> sorry. Although I would say that he had a, a partiality of that new birth, he lacked the revelation of the entirety of the new birth. And many Christians today are lacking the entirety of the new birth. I'm closing. The musicians can come. You know, throughout all of time, there's always been controversial ways to achieve the salvation of God. And you can actually look as far back as Cain and Abel and the offering that Cain offered to the Lord. It was by his own works that Cain offered his sacrifice. 
And unlike Abel's, whose sacrifice was out of obedience and faith in what God had told them to do, Cain's sacrifice was in vain. You can fast forward and you have the Catholic Church who was selling away to have all of your sins removed and giving Christians false hopes. To hear those words that I think every single one of us believers long to hear. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And Peter, who held the keys to the church, he wasn't anointed to declare who made it to heaven and hell. In fact, his anointing came in the fact that he had a message of the new birth, the death, burial, and resurrection. And Peter stood up with the eleven on the day of Pentecost, and he declared after being asked, what shall we do in Acts 2.37? And Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Leading up to that, we often skip the actual sermon that led to that declaration. Because Peter was telling those that were under the law what they needed to hear. In order to understand the greatest why anyone could hear. In order to understand that new birth experience. And that is this. We are guilty. You are guilty. There's nothing in the natural That you can do to receive the justification of your original sin. The payment in order that you and I can be declared not guilty. It required an innocent man to pay your price. It required nails. It required beatings, humiliation, and the greatest forms of condemnation. And finally the death of everything that our Savior could have done in his earthly ministry. But it was the greatest thing ever accomplished. And all we have to do, all you have to do is believe and have faith. Take action and activate that faith by asking the Lord for forgiveness. Find an altar and pray. Give, giving your heart to God and finding a way to respond for what he did for you and what he did for me. And if you have not entered into this covenant relationship with the Lord through water baptism in the name of Jesus, then make that day be today. The water is warm, it's clean, we have towels you can change. We are open for business. We are here to help you receive what God has promised. Yes, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's stand.